You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Thanks for tuning into the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. We continually are trying new things with the show. So if you'd like new questions or you have any new suggestions for us, feel free to reach out. We're happy to hear it. A couple of you listeners have, and we definitely appreciate it. If you'd like to be on the show as either a millionaire interview or as a guest interview, please feel free to reach out. We're happy to have anybody on. We've had many guest interviews who aren't yet millionaires, but are on their way to becoming such. So Also, we have some multifamily investing opportunities uh, in both the Southwest and the Northeast regions. We've continually had high IRRs and success, and we're partnering with a couple guys that have a great track record of success. Excuse me. So if you're interested in investing, please feel feel free to reach out. We continue to work on uh, audio quality and other things with the show. So thanks again for tuning in and listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. So on today's show, we have X, and he is a 47-year-old radiologist with a current net worth of $2.3 million if you don't count his home. And if you count his home and his college savings for his daughter, he has a net worth of over $3 million. He hit his first million at the age of 45 and his second million just two years later. He currently holds about $500,000 in his 401k, $500,000 in a separate brokerage account, and $500,000 in syndicated real estate deals. We talk with him about why doctors are bad with money and how he thinks that's changing. We also discuss with him the biggest risks of losing his wealth in the future and what he's doing now to deal with those risks. And lastly, we discuss with him his financial goals for the future and when he plans to retire. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with X. Welcome to Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast. Today on the show, we have X. X, you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you do now? Um, Sure. Um, I am 47 years old. And I am a physician. I, uh, my specialty is uh, radiology, and I currently work in a, uh, a multi-specialty group with about 70 physicians um, of various specialties, and uh, uh, I'm in a private practice group there. Good stuff. And what is your net worth today? Um, basically, uh, not including my primary residence um, and my college savings fund for my daughter, um, I have it right around... $2.25 million. Awesome. And, and what is the breakdown of that $2.25? Um, sure. Uh, basically, I, I have uh, several retirement accounts kind of spread out. Um, uh, what I have mainly is uh, my uh, 401k at my work has approximately 22% of that is uh, uh, contained uh, in that net worth. I also have a, a brokerage account with almost the same amount, about 22% uh, of my net worth is uh, into the brokerage account. Uh, I also have um, a health savings account that accounts for about 3% of my net worth. Um, I've recently got into real estate investing with uh, private syndicating, and um, for the past year, I've pretty much put all my investable money into that. And currently, that's at 22% of my net worth, about 500000 there. Um, I also was very fortunate to buy in early at our, um, our medical practice building. Uh, we uh, basically constructed a new building, and I got in at the ground floor, and that 
has dramatically increased in value. Um, I think I calculated for my initial shares that it's, it's gained about 863%, um, and that now compromises about 24% of my net worth. Uh, I have a pension um, when I was training um, in a, uh, a state pension fund. That's about 3%. Um, a Roth IRA, that's about a 3% as well. And I also have some cash savings that comes to about 4% of that network. Good stuff. And how, how is this invested? How is your retirement accounts and your, and your brokerage accounts? How are those invested? Are they in index funds or actively managed funds? Yeah. Um, I, I used to be, um, in some actively managed funds and then I kind of saw the light, um, kind of when I've had a financial awakening, cause I, I kind of, as a physician, I'm pretty sure most people know that we're not the greatest in, in financing. Um, there's, even though we have years and years of education, not a single year was dedicated to uh, helping us with finance. So we kind of were kind of lost and then sort of got advice from some financial advisors, put me in some like um, front loaded funds. And I was kind of swimming like that for a while. Uh, eventually I, I came across the Boggle head site. And so like the white coat investor was a great physician resource. And um, all of a sudden I, I just realized I was just doing it the wrong way. And I almost entirely shifted everything into um, passive fund. Um, the Bogleheads were big fans, obviously, of Vanguard. Um, so I actually just did what they did and, um, and, and primarily went into that. I don't treat each account separately. I, I, I use an Excel spreadsheet, and I treat it all as one big pot. And then I, I basically do an allocation um, over all accounts and try to keep it that way. Awesome. And then within your syndicated real estate, what kind of properties are those? Um, they're exclusively um, multifamily commercial apartments. Um, they are specifically Class B grade, uh, which is a little bit older apartments. Um, I think they're usually like right about before the year 2000. And this is mainly those properties that are looking for like the blue-collar workforce and not the high-end A-class properties. And um, so far, I've had great results with that. I've been very happy with that, and that's been giving me a passive income stream that allows me to be a little bit more aggressive with my equities. And where are those properties located? Are they near you, or how did you find those? How did you get in contact with those syndicators? Sure. Um, again, I, I owe it to the White Coat uh, investor, um, his website. Um, I When I first found him, I think he had a couple of years of archives already that I, I by the time I actually discovered his website. So I actually went back through the, the few years and came across uh, a couple of posts that kind of opened my eyes and kind of changed the way I, I viewed things. Um, it was uh, another physician who had written this post. It was Dennis Bethel. Uh, he has his own website. Um, I believe it's called Nest Egg Therapy, Rx. And um, he first spoke of how he started doing these uh, syndicated deals, and he specifically mentioned... Uh, the, the syndicator that I went with, which was 37th Parallel. Um, they're based in Virginia, but all the properties that they typically are um, purchasing are in, in Texas. So it, it, they're out of state for me, but because they're in Texas and it's a no state income tax, um, I don't have to have any more hassles for filing um, income tax things. So that was even a benefit for me. And how come you decided to choose a syndicator versus doing something on your own? Um, I had some experience with, um, like, single-family residents. I actually um, bought a couple of condominiums um, near a college town, and 
I, I, I didn't think it was a good use of my time. It was a lot more active involvement. Um, and as a physician, I'm already busy as it is. But um, you get those horror stories of those 3 a.m. toilet calls and stuff like that. I didn't get it quite that bad, but I did get some headaches. And it was just like it, it, I, I didn't want to be an active landlord. And um, I was trying to look for some sort of real estate um, vehicle that would give me the benefits of all the tax benefits of, of real estate investing without really having me get the, the, the periodic calls to fix stuff. And uh, I tried crowdfunding for a little bit as well, and um, I had a great experience with that. Um, the only problem with the crowdfunding was that their deals were typically a lot shorter um, offerings. Um, the ones I was, was in matured in about a year or so. So you're always having to get this new capital to come in, and you have to think about where you want to redeploy it. Um, and some of the crowdfunding sites, the uh, offerings were not, they didn't have that many, and when they did offer it, they kind of got scooped up and it became like a wait list, so it was almost like a rush to put your money into something. And I, I, I like the private uh, syndicator model where they buy a property, <clears throat> and they have about seven to ten year time frame at least, if not longer, and um, it just allows you to put your capital in and let, and let it appreciate and, and, and still get a reliable passive income stream. Awesome. I want to go back to what you said about doctors maybe not always being the best with money. So we've had a couple other doctors on, including the White Coat Investor, and we've talked about it briefly with them. But what's your take on that? Why, have, why are doctors kind of known to be bad with money? Why do they have that <laughs> reputation? Um, it, it, it's a deservedly so reputation that we got. Um, we are... Um, I, I think it's changing now because now there is a proliferation of um, more of a. Um, you, you see a lot of blogs popping up in the internet with physician-based financial advice now. But um, I graduated medical school um, in 1997, and none of those resources existed. Um, I mean, I went through college, medical school, and residency, and not once did we have, not even a, a course, not even an hour presentation on financing. I mean, it was. Basically, they were just cramming us full of medical knowledge and how to take care of a patient, but no one really wanted to know how to take care of us. And it, it kind of set up a situation where we were kind of like ripe for the picking for any financial advisor. I mean, they, they looked at us as, you know, having big pockets and very little education, and that, that's a deadly combination for us, but a great, if you were going to hunt for prey, that would be a great target to go for. <laughs> So you, you said your your net worth is two point three, but you don't count your primary home, which you said uh, off offline is about seven or eight hundred thousand, and then some more money in your daughter's college account. How come you don't count those two in your net worth calculation? Yeah, um, I I sort of break up my net worth. I, I mean, for me, I'm I'm trying to build it for where I think it's going to sustain me in retirement, and if I have an asset that I'm not going to have in retirement, such as my college. Um, fund for my daughter, um, I, I don't count that in because that's not going to help me when I'm in my, you know, golden years. And um, the, the residence I currently stay in, which I hope is my forever home and it certainly looks that way, I wouldn't be able to tap the asset unless I sell it, which, you know, in retirement, I, I really don't want to. So I, I kind of take that off the table so I could do a mental picture of where I need to be without those assets included. I could certainly include them to just inflate my numbers, and you know, technically, I am worth more than um, that number you just said. But for me, I, I, I really use the portfolio for my own personal measuring stick for how I want to do in retirement. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Kind of goes back to the rich bad or rich dad, poor dad mentality too. So what are the risks to your wealth? What are kind of your biggest risks you see as, as your wealth growing or maintaining your wealth and then your financial success in the future? Sure. Um, well, unfortunately, there, uh, being a physician, it's um, just the practice itself. There are chances where you could possibly, I mean, it's a very litigious society, and that's always hanging over your head is, you know, could you ever be sued? Um, I do carry, carry malpractice insurance, but, you know, you, you always hear in the story some of these major cases that get, you know, astronomical um, awards, and that. You know, the, the likelihood of that happening is very, you know, very low. But, you know, as, as somebody who always worries about stuff like that, that kind of weighs in the back of your mind. So that, that's always a concern. And, and being a physician, I think uh, we always have a target on our backs, too. I mean, it, it's just the, the nature of the game that lawyers will look at us and say we have deep pockets, and they'll be more aggressive if anyone comes to them to sue because they think they can get more out of us Whereas if I, you know, had not said to my name, I don't think a lawyer would give me, you know, a second look. Um, in terms of the other things, I try to diversify my um, portfolio over, you know, real estate, um, stocks, um, and I, I believe, you know, it could, it could probably weather um, some storms because the, the, the biggest thing that I think I have going for me is I, I really started concentrating on passive income streams. And I think that provides a base floor of what I could expect, which I still think would, you know, provide for my standard living right now. And anything over that is gravy. So I, I don't, if something happens to one asset class, I don't have to be forced to sell it, you know, and lock in the losses. Because I think my passive income and my primary income, obviously, um, could uh, let me weather the course. Do you know what your rate of return has been over your investing career? Um, yeah, I, I actually um, before I um, before I got into financing uh, financial stuff and and really got into it and started reading a lot of books on it. I, I really didn't keep track of things. I, I had some periodic things where I could was, but they were very sparse when I wrote it down. And then I really started in earnest, like keeping track of my uh, net worth over the past probably about three years or so. Um, so. I started doing like almost like a monthly net worth and my first real, you know, every month keeping track of my net worth started in March of 2015. So it'll be from March 2015 to March 2016. Um, based on that, my net worth grew up 27%. Uh, the following March to March to, to 2017, it went up to 50.8%. March 2017 to March 2018, it went up to 49.2% more. And then currently from this past March, my net worth has already grown 9.3%. So, yeah, I was actually uh, kind of shocked at the rate of return on so for my net worth. Yeah, that's great. So when did you become a millionaire? Um, actually, uh, I became a millionaire uh, April, uh, April 2016, so I would have been 45 years old. So in... F- the last two, call it two and a half years, you've doubled, more than doubled your net worth. Correct. Awesome. And the last time, um, the last time that I was really tracking my net worth in the past, um, I was negative net worth of minus, um, I was underwater about 780000 and that was uh, November 2009. 
and then the very next time I ever had a net worth calculation, it was 722000 and that was in March 20th, 2015. So there was a big gap between that time. So I don't know when I actually became zero either, which is unfortunate. I wish I knew that. Is that because of school loans and, and other things? Um, actually, that, that there was an awful period of my life right about then because I just went through a really messy divorce, and that, that was the other thing that destroyed my net worth at one point, too, and kind of set me on the path that I am now. But um, in 2010, I, I filed for divorce, and okay. that opened up a can of worms. That it, it took me uh, about three or four years to recover. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, we've had a few guests on our show that that say that the the quickest way to to destroy net worth is is to uh, go through a divorce, and you just proved proved that. It took you three to four years to recover on you know as a as a doctor, which is great, but still definitely probably not a yeah. not a fun experience at all. Uh, and mine, um, and this is not a a title you want to have, but so far everyone I've told my story to has said that this is the worst divorce they've ever heard of. And that was including the senior judge that tried the case. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so do, do your peers, I mean, would you say that they know that you're a millionaire? And would you say that all of them are a millionaire? I mean, you're hanging out with, with a bunch of docs and, and high-income professionals. Would, would you say that they're all millionaires as well? Um, no, I, I would say that I'm in the, va- uh, you know, the vast minority of uh, physicians uh, where I work that would be considered, you know, seven plus net worth. Um, I share my details uh, with my colleague who's um, also is in my department in radiology and uh, we both kind of know each other's numbers but um, I, we, it's almost like a taboo subject talking about you know how much it worth among colleagues. Uh, I don't know why it got to that point but it's, it's almost like you don't want to ever say you know, how much you're really worth. So uh, but I do know that a lot of people are still, you know, living paycheck to paycheck just based on some of the comments they've made. So with a net worth of 2.3, if you don't count your house and, you know, over three, if you do, how do you, has, has, has this financial security affected your confidence and happiness levels? Or have you say it's just kind of stayed constant as you've continued to work and build up your savings? Yeah. Um, to be honest, um, at a certain point, it, it, dramatically improved my life. Um, it, there's um, kind of this term that's sweeping the physician nation uh, called burnout. Um, you see that sometimes on the internet where, you know, there's just so many things that are, are changing in the medical landscape and a lot of physicians are just, you know, getting to the point where being in medicine is not as fun as it used to be. Um, I mean, I think we all went into medical school with the ideal of helping patients, you know, and being good and, 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 you know, obviously being compensated for the sacrifices you made. But just in the recent years, um, that kind of feeling is almost in a minority among people that have been practicing for a while. They've seen their practices change. There's so many more regulations. Um, every year we get threatened with more and more reimbursement cuts. I mean, Medicare, which is one of the, you know, the main determining factors of how we get paid, always dangles these big Medicare cuts coming through. And a lot of practices um, have folded. Um, one of the most expensive things that um, the government required physicians to do was an electronic health record, and that caused a lot of strife. A lot of private practice doctors didn't have the, you know, the finances to buy this expensive electronic health system, and they used that point to retire or get bought out by a hospital. Um, so you get these this generation that's kind of 
of doctors that are, are, are just kind of dazed. Um, just it's, it's like a disenchanted kind of feeling, and, and, and that's where burnout is. And, and you, you always hear in our journals, you know, such and such physician committed suicide or, you know, this and this. And, and it's, it's kind of kind of sad that um, somebody who, you know, went to a noble profession gets to the point where they can't deal with life anymore with it. And I personally had experienced some burnout just based on, you know, the amount of work I had to do to maintain the salary I had been doing because the only way you could keep your salary up when they're cutting, you know, costs is to see more patients or, to re- for me, read more films. So you're really starting to almost be in like a factory kind of thing. And, you know, some doctors almost have to see, you know, X amount of patients more than they used to, and you don't have time to, you know, have pleasantries or anything that used to make, you know, make a doctor fun. So for me, I was getting to that point, um, and the thing that got me off of that point and off that ledge was uh, once I started, you know, getting a substantial passive income, I didn't feel like I had to work as much as I needed to, um, and I actually started paying somebody to cover me for a day off each week. So... Um, I typically try to work four days a week, and at one point when I get even more comfortable, I, I mean, I'd love to cut down even more. And just that extra day during the week just recharges your battery so much. I mean, it, it was unbelievable, you know, the attitude change and everything like that. So for, for me, becoming close to financially independent, and, and, and to be honest, if it wasn't for my daughter and the unexpected cost for college, which I, you know, I'm not sure that, I, I probably would be financially independent on my own. But I like to be a little bit safe and kind of uh, have a good buffer. So talk about that shift. What, what what made you do that? What made you say, hey, I need to start getting something away from just my primary job, and, and this is how I'm going to start doing it, and here's where I'm going to start? Yeah. Um, again, it was basically just reading so much on the Internet. Um, I, there was a point where I, I would just be reading a finance book, you know, every couple of weeks. I, I would just, like, keep on ordering through Amazon because – it was just once you once you started into it, it was almost like a. I, I became passionate again, and it was you know it was it's something that reminded me of my medical school days. You wanted to learn more and more and more, and this was something that was new, and it didn't take much effort to do it, and I could just see the direct impacts of how much it saved. I mean, during the course of what I've done, I probably saved myself you know several hundred thousand dollars, I think at least if not more of fees and. And uh, and stuff like that, and that was just by buying like a twenty dollar book here and there. So um, the return on investment for that was astronomical. That was one of the the biggest things for me. And then I started seeing how people were saying that you know the way that medicine is heading, you want to make sure you have something just like the, just like diversifying your portfolio for stocks and bonds and real estate. You really don't want to have all your eggs in one income source. And that's where I started saying, you know, that makes sense. You know, being a doctor, yeah, you, you, you are almost guaranteed a job and a high-paying job at that, but you never know. I mean, something could happen. You could become disabled. You could do something else. I wanted something that diversified my income. And when I started reading about that, one of the biggest things was passive income through real estate investment. That, that was one of the um, points in my life. I was like, wow, this, this makes all the sense in the world, and you always see, for me, you always look at what successful people do and how they got there, and most of the wealthiest people in America are, you know, 
really heavy in real estate investing. It's, you know, so I, I just wanted to kind of copy them. Yeah, awesome. Good for you. So you obviously had some stressful moments, you know, when, when career was building up, you went to med school, you have a family, you have a daughter. I'm not sure if you're actively involved in a community or church, but how did you go ahead and balance those things? How did you balance the time between your professional, you know, your work-life balance? Yeah. Um, I was very fortunate um, that the uh, the job that I chose actually gave quite a great lifestyle um, for for a radiologist or any doctor, to, for that matter, um, it was basically a um, an outpatient setting. So I only had to my my before I started having somebody cover me for one day. My typical work day was uh, work week was Monday through Friday, um, about eight thirty to five or so. I don't take call and I don't work on weekends. So just that in itself was remarkable to have as a physician, and that really helped a lot with the lifestyle. Um, and I. And I, I did have opportunities when I first moved here to, to choose other practices that were paying a little bit more, a lot more, but they required call and, um, and nights and uh, a lot more hours. And I made the smart decision back then when I was about 30, early 30s, about 32 or so, when I made the decision that even then I really wanted to have more lifestyle rather than, you know, money at that point. Interesting. One thing that, that you've shared with us is that you've paid off your your primary residence. What led you to that decision, and 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 how you know how long ago did you decide to to make that decision to go ahead and pay that primary residence off? Yeah, um, actually, it's kind of a, a, a long story um, that starts out with like pretty much all the mistakes I made to get to that point. Uh, I'm not sure if you wanted to, to go into that, but I'll, I'll be happy. Yeah, to go ahead. My mistakes. Um, it, basically, like I said, uh, as a physician, I, I was not really educated in finance, and I kind of bumbled my way throughout the whole process. Um, so originally, um, my biggest mistake was, um, well, uh, th- my first mistake was basically uh, financing my medical school. Uh, I, I used to, um, I, I got the maximum loans as much as he could per year, and then on top of that, I would fund my lifestyle with credit cards. So I would basically be doing, um, and this is in the, in the early 90s, so it was pretty easier for credit. They gave credit to almost anyone, and I could do balance transfers. So I was playing like credit card roulette. When one was about to be uh, a higher interest rate, I would switch over. And I ended up graduating probably with about $160,000 in, in, in student loans, which by today's standards is very low. I mean, most people now days are graduating in like the 300 to uh, you know, 600,000 range is more common. But when I graduated, it was about 160,000. And I did the very dumb thing of not starting to pay it back. Um, I always kept on saying, <clears throat> you're going to be a doctor, you're going to make a lot of money later on, let that person take care of it. You know, you're still young, you're making a resident salary, which is not that much. I think at that age, um, that time, of the, um, I was making about thirty-five to 40,000 a year. And so I did forbearance which basically means I don't get to pay anything, but the interest can be compounded in some principal later, which was a big mistake. And I deferred um, my student loans all the way up until I became a full-fledged attending. So I, I did four years of medical school, six years of residency, and one year of fellowship without paying anything towards my loans. So it, it was, I, I believe that's about 10 or 11 years worth of um, of interest accruing, and I think by the time I started paying it back, it was about three hundred fifty thousand or so. Um, 
there was a couple other really bad mistakes I made um, that they warn you about. Um, I bought a house during <laughs> uh, as a resident, um, and then uh, in about two years into my residency, I, I originally went into uh, into surgery. Uh, I was going to be a general surgeon, and then two years into it, I actually just switched because I didn't think that was going to be my lifestyle that I wanted. So I had to sell that house, and I had bought another house all while I'm a resident because it was so easy to doctor mortgages. Um, and then I basically did my training in my second house. And then when I finally came to this house, I couldn't sell that second house, and that just sat there empty for uh, almost a year. Um, and I didn't want a landlord, but I kept on trying to put it on the market, but the market really softened that point. Um, so when that finally sold and I got rid of that, that's when I got into my head that, you know, I don't want to carry debt anymore. <laughs> And, and that's kind of where I wanted to attack uh, where I was. Uh, my divorce kind of came before m- myself paying off this um, mortgage, and that delayed my, <laughs> my thing quite a bit as well. But after that, I was pretty much at the bottom. After my divorce, I kind of had all my assets given to her, pretty much anything that had any value. The judge was giving it to her, and I got everything that had debt. Um, and then I said, you know, if I don't do anything now, I'm not going to ever be able to retire. So I just channeled all the, the funds I had available to pay the debt. And um, I think my first um, major debt that I paid off was my second mortgage on the house. Um, that was about 110000 And then I attacked my student loans, which at that time I had about 109000 left. And then finally I concentrated on my um, primary mortgage. And then um, I think in April 2015 is when I paid that off. Did you still invest in your retirement plans while you paid off all that debt? Um, yeah, during the, um, I just had everything automated through my work um, for that, so that that continued to um, be taken out of my paycheck. But all the extra funds um, that I had during the divorce, I, I, I basically was paying my lawyer. Um, I had an astronomical legal fee, and it, it was just like I said, it was a very litigious <laughs> um, divorce. And um, I didn't have any spare money to put into extra investing. So fortunately, um, like I said, I, I didn't change anything for my, uh, my uh, retirement investments. Uh, I just let that go as is. But I, I didn't really have any spare money that I felt safe to invest in anything else. I see. So if you were to, to, to rewind a little bit you know, back in time, what, what would you have told your maybe 25-year-old or 27-year-old self knowing what you know now? Oh, sure. Um, I think the biggest thing um, was I wish I had taken some interest at least in finance and not just be trusting people that, you know, supposedly had your best interest. Um, as a doctor, we quickly get out of the, um, the ability to uh, invest in a Roth IRA, um, but as a resident, I could have easily put money into a Roth and I, I wish I had maxed that out uh, while I was a resident. Um, I know it would have been a little bit tougher because obviously my paychecks taking home would be less, but that would be um, a really good opportunity to get, you know, your your retirement money into a vehicle that, you know, would later grow and you could take out, you know, tax-free. So I, I wish I had taken advantage of that. Um, and then, yeah, mainly I, I think uh, if I had started um, looking at uh, passive investments rather than the, uh, you know, the front-loaded fees, I could have saved myself a little bit of uh, pain there, too. Good stuff. How critical has it been 
for you to live in a, in a lower cost of living area of the country versus maybe say some of the big metro areas that uh, you know drive up costs for you to be able to attain millionaire status? Oh, sure. Um, I, I, I personally think that being in a low cost area probably turbocharged my you know, portfolio and, and, uh, and my retirement by at least five years, if not more. Um, the cost of living here, not only was the housing cheaper, um, I actually went from a uh, high income state tax, um, high state income tax uh, state to a, a state that has no income tax. So that was a huge savings there as well. Um, so all those things added together, I, I, I could easily say I had an extra hundred thousand or more a year just from tax savings alone um, from making the move. So um, property taxes are a lot lower here um, as well. So um, it, it, it definitely helps. I, I'm pretty sure I would have become a millionaire regardless of you know where I chose, but um, it, it would have been a much harder um, uh, and lengthier time, I think, to, to get to it. Do you have a target net worth or target passive income goal that you want to hit? Yeah. Um, when I first started this, um, I thought you know it would be great to have a, a, a net worth of five million. And then based on the you know the four percent rule, uh, you know you could you could basically take out like two hundred thousand uh, a year, and that would be great. But after my debts were starting to pay off, um, be paid off completely, and the, just the, the cost of living here is so low. If I stay here, um, I think I could have like a luxurious lifestyle with um, one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year, um, if 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 not less. And that's sort of my target goal is to have a something that could sustain 125000 a year um, and almost not even touch the principal. And that's kind of, I'm not, like I said, my passive income stream is getting to the point where if you add that in, you know, Social Security benefits and my pension, I'm almost there um, without ever having to touch the principal, which is, a, you know, an incredible feeling. So I want to do some rapid-fire questions with you. The millionaire rapid-fire questions that we've been doing lately. So the most expensive pair of jeans or pants that you've ever purchased? <laughs> Um, probably about eighty dollars. Uh, I'm not a big fashionista. It, I would I would be surprised if anything costs more than that. Okay, most expensive pair of shoes. Um, actually, I think it was a pair of sandals that I got, and that was one hundred and thirty dollars. Okay, the most expensive car you've ever purchased. Um, that's the one I currently drive, and it's uh, a 2015 Tesla Model S 90D. Uh, paid for it in cash, and that was the first time that I was able to pay for a vehicle fully and it felt great. Oh, nice. Jace is happy about that one. Most expensive <laughs> meal that you've ever paid for personally? Um, close to about $500, I think. Uh, that's several times I've done that. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of sushi and uh, those tasting menus, and they can get kind of pricey. <laughs> so uh, I, I've done that for a uh, party of two it, it, with uh, drinks and stuff. It, it comes to about 500 bucks. Okay, what's been worth spending the money on for you? What's worth spending more on? Um, to be honest, uh, hands down, it's experiences. Um, material stuff, you know, fades away. I will say that the Tesla I still love, and it brings me joy, so that's probably the one thing that even after a couple of years, I still get the biggest kick out of driving. But everything else I've bought material, you, you kind of had that initial, this is great, and then you kind of fade away. But some of the experiences that I've had... Um, that was another thing I sacrificed during um, uh, as a physician. I, 
I just kept on putting off vacations. I, I never uh, wanted to travel because I was all the time, you know, money hungry. You know, if I take time off to go to traveling, I won't be making money. And uh, once I got to this level, I started saying, you know what, it's time to enjoy uh, life. And my, my favorite vacation so far was for my 45th birthday. We went to Bali for a week, my girlfriend and I, and just had the most amazing time. And then uh, and other things I could do for my daughter with vacations, like going to Disney and stuff like that, that, that brings everything worth it. I mean, I, I never put a price on, on vacations. I, I try to go as, you know, as luxurious as I can. Okay, awesome. What was your high school and college GPA? Um, high school, wow, that's I have to think about this. Uh, it, it was it was close to four. I would say like three point nine. Um, um, and in in, in college, I, I was uh, about three three seven three eight. Okay, and we covered this a little bit, but if you had to guess now or, or predict now, what's your predicted retirement age and net worth at retirement? Um, I'm shooting for trying to be. Um, either fully retired or getting really down to low part-time hours um, by the time my daughter enters college, which would make me about 53. So I, I think I would, I could probably retire earlier than that, but I think 53 would be fine for me. Okay. And what was your first job out of college and how much did you make? <laughs> um, I, I was a, a research assistant in uh, cancer uh, research. Um, it was just for a summer, so I, I, I don't think I made more than two or $3,000. And then after that, my real first job was becoming a resident, and the pay there was about 35000 a year. Awesome. So where can people find you? Where can people hear more about you? Well, um, I, I do have a uh, blog that I just created. Um, again, it's in the uh, realm of the FIRE movement, which is that financial independence retire early movement. Um, the uh, blog itself is named X-Ray Vision, and that's spelled X-R-A-Y-V-S-N. Dot com. Um, I just started that in April. That actually uh, was launched the day I turned 47. That was just a personal goal of mine to, to do something like this. And I finally just said, you know, let's do it. If, otherwise, you'll never will. And, um, yeah, so far it's been going great. It's been well received. And, uh, yeah, always love comments. So any uh, of your uh, listeners, if they ever uh, want a discussion, that would be a great place to contact me. Awesome. Well, X for X Revision, thanks for coming on the show today. Net worth of 2.3, over 3 if you count the house and college savings. Thanks again. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure and uh, honored to be part of it. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.